0: From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. And today we'll be learning from our veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morris. Now you may have noticed that Adam has been doing this show on his own. Well, in the meantime, uh, I guess these last few weeks, we've been looking for some new guests and some new co-hosts to come on the show to offer their own unique takes and personalities and expertise on the most interesting and useful investment topics. And so these next two episodes are going to feature just Adam, uh, which he's been doing an excellent job. But after these next two episodes, we'll have different guests and different people on to continue on our quest to help every investor out there become a much better, more venerable, more confident investor. And today we're talking about investing horror stories. This is our part two of investing horror stories. Uh, This is actually part two of three. Today we're going to do four stories with Adam and then another four in an episode after. These were a lot of fun to record and I'm sure you will get a lot out of it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Keep it simple each and every week. You can email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com for episode suggestions or corrections, or if you just want to say hello. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. So today we're going to talk about uh, investing horror stories. This is actually part two and three. Today is part two. Yeah. I like these. Yeah. I look forward to these. Let's do it. So, but you do have a serious job though, which is you have to tell us the lesson learned.
1: Okay. Just so everyone knows, I have not seen these. Jared has not sent these to me. No. We didn't talk about them. This is just, he's going to hit me with some stories and I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. Also, anyone listening... If you have in, like an investment horror story, if you've had a terrible experience doing something, or I'll throw out like if you've had a really good experience or something that like codified how you approach it, send it to us. Like we would love to hear it. If it's really good, we'll even we'll throw it out here in an episode and talk about it because we we're going to keep doing some of these investing horror stories. I think it's a good way to learn. They're kind of fun to do for us. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, if you have something, send it to us. We don't have to use your name or any identifying information,
0: but that'd be cool. Uh, this is our first story. It's labeled Gambling It All Away. Actually, I'm not going to title these because I don't want to give it away. Okay. Okay. So these are pretty short. So I'll start off. Okay. So our first one. In early 2014, an elderly couple had been listening to financial media hype on how the stock price of a small biotech company, Intercept Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, stock symbol ICPT, had gone through the roof and made lucky investors rich. They decided now was their time to enter the market and start day trading. Neither of them had any experience trading nor actively investing. They started taking, taking positions on ICPT. Unfortunately, the day that they started trading was the day ICPT was hammered by the market. Uh, it just kept on tumbling lower and they kept leveraging their position. What does that mean? They kept leveraging their position? Uh, getting deeper into it. Okay. Towards the end of the day, they started, uh, they started trying to sell, but it was too late. They had started the day with around 71000 which was their life savings. At the close of the uh, of trading, they were wiped out and owed the brokerage company around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay,
1: so what leveraging means in that case, they went they started using margin. So margin in a trading account is when you have some money in the account. It might be like in this case, let's say I have seventy thousand dollars in the account. I can use the shares, like so, the stuff I own that seventy thousand, I can use that as collateral to get a loan to go buy more stuff.
0: Why would you do that?
1: I mean, in certain cases it makes a lot of sense. Well, like like it's like we talked about before, debt's not necessarily bad. You know, we use debt to buy homes every day. Debt used smartly can really be a benefit, but it needs to be done well and by an experienced person, which we've already kind of established these people aren't. So it sounds like they were, you know, chasing their losses with with margin, which in this case doesn't sound wise, but continue.
0: Okay, so they started with 71,000 yeah and then they ended up owing 250. That's pretty much the end. Uh here is how Intercept uh pharmaceutical stock price behaved covering that period from 2013 to 2021 and I'll let you describe what it looks like. Oh boy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at pretty much from, you know, 2013 into 14 a sharp jump up in 2014 for a very short amount of time and then you know kind of what you'd expect just a series of yeah a roller coaster ride to the bottom where we are today, and it's barely trading above zero essentially
0: so not great, yikes, not great so there are a few lessons they say there are many lessons from the example mm-hmm. from this example um, but what are some of the obvious ones that stand out to you oh i mean the the
1: first one <laughs> I would say is don't do things that you're not. Good at if you don't understand what you're doing or how to do it, don't do it um in this case, it would have been better to have done nothing than to have you know gone all in on this one position try to day trade um but that's kind of obvious to drill down a little further, I would say this is why you diversify right um with not not only your money but with the positions that you're buying so going all in on one position, much less like a relatively unknown small cap stock like this, even if it's one, you know, really well-established blue chip, it's one company. And there's a long history in, in America of big, powerful corporations falling apart overnight for different reasons, impropriety, debt, bad decision making. Um, so you're always going to be increasing your risk massively by only investing in one thing. Um, but I think more importantly for the average person, there's always going to be people that are going to day trade, that are going to want to take risks, that are going to want to chase that one. You know, my grandmother was like this. She, we lost her last October. Um, but she very much was the kind of person, you know, she'd subscribe to these newsletters that she would always forward me. And these newsletters always have like, you know, three hot stock tips. And a lot of times they would be these pharmaceuticals because these pharmaceuticals, They file patents like it's their job. They must have 10 people whose full-time job is just to file patents on stuff. And so they'll use these patents as, hey, they have a patent for this groundbreaking, you know, cancer treatment or whatever. And if it works, we are going to run the world, right? And it's always this if, if, if. And people want to trade on that possibility. So what I would tell people... You know, it's like if you go to the casino. I don't fundamentally have a problem with anyone going to the casino. It's entertaining. It's fun. There's a lot going on. You know, it's an experience. But you wouldn't walk into the casino with your life savings. That would be a poor decision
0: to make, and that's essentially what they did. They walked in with their life savings, and they bet it all. Why do you think they did that? What do you think motivates it? Like, do you think, to me, it seems like it'd be like a friend who's just constantly like, yo, you got to get right in on this. On this.
1: I, I don't know. I mean, I would—I wish— My wife Natalie was here. She's a psychologist. She would be able to probably weigh in a little bit better as to kind of what goes on in people's minds. I think it's probably, it might be a hint of desperation. You know, you said they were elderly, right? So they see their savings dwindling. They kind of get anxious. Okay, we need to hit. you know, we need to manufacture some runs here. We we need to kind of make some money um, to kind of make our savings last. It It could be hubris, right? It could be just a it's easy to feel confident when you don't have all the information. So when you've been exposed to just a small subset of the available information and you're going on it and you're not even aware, you don't have the experience to be aware that there's other factors to consider. You might have this false sense of security, you know, know, thinking there's only one way this is going to go. So I think that's why experience is so important Mm. with investing, getting a lot of experience and seeing how, you know, seeing what it feels like to be invested over time. If if you don't do it, you're going to you know be subject to making bad conclusions because you're not mm-hmm. going to have that experience to kind of base it off of. So I would tell you if you're going to day trade, if you're going to make bets on single positions like this, especially kind of off the beaten path mm-hmm. uh, positions like this, um, you know, have a number in your mind that if you were to lose it all today, it wouldn't matter to you. Right. Different for different people. I don't know if that's 5% of your savings. I don't know if that's 10%, but it's not a hundred percent and it's not fifty percent. it's probably not 25 yeah. percent. it's going to be a smaller percent. make your bet, but you know you need to have an, the underlying foundation of your savings needs to be something that's much more risk adjusted, much more diversified
0: right. Very good advice. So if let's say this couple was like 70 years old and they're like, okay, my nest egg is only 71 thousand. I mean is there something they could do to amp up that that nest egg even though they're kind of late in life? Not without amping up
1: risk. Right, and that's that you can't get away from that risk and reward, yeah right it the risk is not bad, it's what pays for the reward, but it's the timing of that risk right. right? We talk about this with like sequence of returns, so if you took an investment um if you looked at a portfolio that is going to be invested for thirty years, right. It might have the same exact annualized return as a, another portfolio right next to it. So mm-hmm. both had a 10% annualized return and they both had the same income stream coming out of it. But if in the second portfolio you had the first two years of returns of that 30 year sequence, so years one and two, if you front loaded the performance with the worst performing two years of that 30 year stretch, mm-hmm. your portfolio is going to last like eight years shorter compared to the other portfolio. So it's a sequencing of returns problems. When do the returns occur? And so for these folks, it was, you know, maybe they can keep holding it and maybe there's going to be a bounce back and it's going to, you know, it's still trading today. So maybe five years from now, it's going to bounce back and they'll make all this money. The, the problem is they don't have that time to wait, right? Like, can they survive the 10 years it's going to take of that volatility, that negative volatility mm-hmm. to experience the upside? So yeah you know, that's why there there really isn't a short and quick answer of mm-hmm. you know how can I juice my return without subjecting myself to the downsides of that and and that's the that's why working with someone that kind of can do that math for you is really helpful because you need to know what that where's that line right how much risk can I take because I want to maximize my return, but how much risk can I actually take mm-hmm. so what do they tell us the lessons should be?
0: Uh, they literally said almost the same thing they said if you treat the stock market like a casino, it'll behave like one
1: oh, Wow, they said it way better than I
0: did. Well, they had time to write it down. Yeah. there Yeah uh, Don't trade emotionally don't double down the market does not care. Yep, yep. Uh, Use a system and stick with it don't yep. just Manage your risk takes appropriate take take appropriate position sizes.
1: Yeah, Was well, that that's m- the budget thing Like don't put all your money in one thing um, i would also say though, have a, if use a system and stick with it, like not if it's a bad system, this could have been their system and it's a bad one. So having a system, isn't good enough? It's gotta be a system that is logical and makes sense for the investor. So, um, otherwise though, I would agree with that. Um, you know, chasing your losses is a really tempting thing to do because you can, you can talk yourself into, you know, Oh, well, I'm just buying the dip. Right. I'm just getting a discount. If you truly believe something is undervalued and it's dropping, then you're going to tell yourself, oh, well, it's just undervalued. I'm going to buy more, buy more, buy more. That's why you have to go in with an amount that you're willing to risk. Because Mm -hmm. once you're in it for that position, you got to, you have to be willing to walk away at a certain point. You can't keep chasing.
0: Very good. Are you ready for number two? Hit me. So there was a time in 2017 when cryptocurrencies and blockchain had just become mainstream and they were the flavor of the month. Okay, so in many ways, this is a repeat of the dot-com boom of the late 1990s. When any company that could portray, it, portray itself as an internet savvy and as a half-baked business doing uh, something...
1: So th- they're saying like the idea would, you know, it would revolutionize this thing. Or we're gonna, because, the, you know, because of the web, we're going to do something better than Anyone else is doing it, or we're going to do something nobody else was doing, all with the internet.
0: Okay. All right. So in 2017, companies were changing their names to include blockchain. That's that's the example. Um, And their share price would double overnight. They didn't have to change anything else but how they did business. Just a name change that incorporated the word blockchain did the trick. So, this story goes that a broker saw this happening, recognized it as a new manifestation of an age-old market phenomenon, and thought he would try to get ahead of the game. There was a lot of publicly uh, publicity sur- surrounding how the Long Island Ice Tea Company core, I guess corporation symbol, LTEA, changed its name to a long blockchain corporation symbol, LBCC, and saw its stock price triple in a day. Wow. It was back, uh, that was back in 2017 since then the company has delisted from the nasdaq and has been uh, been under fbi investigation
1: misleading investors for sure
0: so there has been more news on the subject Just just recently three individuals involved with the company have been indicted for insider trading buying shares just before the name change but back to our story uh, the broker who tells his tale of trying to profit from this new fad set up his financial news and media scanning channels. His idea was to get in get in as early as soon as an announcement was made and then watch the price climb and get out as the hype started to fade. Uh, he found a press release telling him that the trans Eastern Power Trust symbol, TEP.UN, was about to change its name to Blockchain Power Core. Uh, so the game was on. He got in at around... 55 cents a share to watch it creep up to about 65 cents a chair, a share. But then instead of taking what he had and leaving, he researched their business. He held and held while the share price went on a steady downward journey to around six cents a share. He last reported that it was around 15 cents, but then he kept it in his portfolio as a, as a reminder. So interesting. Yeah. As a reminder.
1: Um, okay. So let me make sure I get this straight we have a guy who was basically his method was monitoring for buzz yeah in the news yeah people changing their name to blockchain P- people s- changing their name he saw one that was going to do that he bought it again it's it's a case of he had a method but he's only factoring in in this case like let's call it one data point which yep. is are they going to change their name to something having to do with blockchain That's one data point, but every other investor in the market that's trading that security at that time, collectively, they are capturing a lot more information than just that data point. They're capturing the company's history, the company's projections. They're capturing Mm -hmm. how much cash the company has, whatever. As a single investor, and by single investor, I mean like one entity. It could be a hedge fund. It could be one person. It could be a group of people, whatever. But you're just going to have a really hard time capturing more information than the collective market is and you're working uphill the entire time so it doesn't mean you can't hit a couple you might but it points a lot more to chance than it does to you know having a method of analyzing that information more efficiently than the market will right does that make sense so i think that's what we're looking at here is just he had a his target was wrong (laughs) he bought at 55 thought it was going to go up hit 65 should have sat back from the table but he had a target that was higher than that. He thought based on his method, it was going to go to 70 or 75. It's no different. I mean, really, it's no different than, you know, you sit down at a blackjack table, you start with 100, you win a couple of hands, you go up to 150, you go, well, surely I'm going to get to 200 because I just got to 150 after three hands. For all you know, that could be the high watermark. You, from that hand on, you could just start whittling away your chips. Yeah. Right? There mm-hmm. is no rhyme or reason to it. That's why, I mean, it is more chance than it is knowledge because you don't have the advantage when it comes to knowledge as a single investor. So right, this would be an argument for what's the lesson. This would be an argument for a passive investment approach, right? He's actively trading, trying to beat that market. And yep. this is, I hear stories like this every single day of my life. Like whether it's with a client, a prospect, you know, I talk to people just as a favor. People have folks call me and just get my two cents on something. I'm telling you, these stories are a dime, a dozen Mm -hmm. people always have these stories. Well, you know, if I had just fill in the blank, if I just sold two days later or two days sooner, or if I had just bought it a month before it's, yep, I'm telling you, (laughs) but that's the norm. That's the norm. So this does not surprise me at all. Yeah. Their lessons were stay away from hot, fashionable stocks. Well, I would also say too, I think, um, We're seeing this with artificial intelligence right now. A lot of companies Uh are... I mean, especially like even in this field, in the investment field, a lot of AI, you know, that's kind of the buzzword. If you can get AI into your product somehow or machine learning, you know, you have a good chance of getting some venture capital thrown your way. So I think the problem is we as people, like the average investor, doesn't really know what blockchain is. You don't really know what artificial intelligence is. It just sounds kind of fancy. Futuristic, yeah. What is that really doing for your business, right? Does that, as an investor is that going to increase your ability to produce earnings or increase your share price in a, in a lasting, enduring way?
0: And sometimes it does, we should say. Like, you know, we always talk about people who lose, but people win. Oh, yeah, there are winners,
1: but you better pick them, right? And when everyone's throwing AI into the their product, yeah. or in this case, everyone's, you know, trying to get some exposure to blockchain, okay, well, maybe research blockchain first before you make any big bets on it. That's all I would say To understand what you're buying.
0: Yeah all right you ready for three hit me all right i have stayed this is a housing one so i've stayed geographically nimble throughout most of my professional career i rented the apartments i lived in rather than buying them and this made it easier for me to move from job to job country to country in 2006 it was time to settle houses house prices had appreciated considerably over the prior years nevertheless it was our time to buy so we bought But we did not take an adjustable rate mortgage. We took a fixed rate mortgage. Then about a year later, the subprime mortgage debacle started to unwind. Another year later, our house was appraised at 14% less than what we paid for it. We stayed. We refinanced to a 15-year fixed rate mortgage and invested in an extension as was always our intention. And that's, that's the horror story. (laughs) <laughs> <Sure>. okay. <laughs> okay. Did he make a... Okay, so do you want me to tell you what the lesson is? Um, yeah. Okay, so the lesson is sometimes an investment that may be less than financially optimal is still necessary. The comparison I make isn't how much better we would have been off if we had bought five years earlier. The issue is how much worse off we would have been if we continued to rent. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I would just look at that
1: and say like, I guess the lesson here would be, you know, life gives you lemons, make lemonade, yeah. right? Like sometimes things don't work out great. You're not going to, you yeah. can't control that. You bought a house, great. Don't second guess that decision. You need to buy a house, you bought it. Yeah. I use this, this uh, analogy a lot with clients when it comes to like uh, the price of a position, right? Because they'll buy something on day one. Let's say they buy 100,000 shares or something. Tomorrow, those same shares are worth 95,000. Right? So they perceive, they feel like someone just came in and took $5,000 from them. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened. What they own is the shares. They don't own the dollars. They own the shares. And they still have the same exact number of shares on day two. Okay? That emotion is that they took $5,000, but they didn't actually. All that price represents is what the market is collectively offering you if you wanted to sell. Okay? This is no different. So this example... Their house, I mean, they said it would drop 14%. Let's just say it went from 150 to 125K. Okay. That 14% drop, they didn't come and lop off 14% of the square footage of the home. It's still the same home. You own the same asset. It's just now the market's offering you a different price for it. But you bought the home not to make money. You bought the home to live in and to provide shelter and to provide a place to keep the rain off you and your family. Right. And is it still doing that? Yes. Okay. Then just relax. Right? right unless you were buying that as an investment property with the intent to flip it in a year or two you're going to yeah. be just fine so don't panic look for the opportunity in that mayhem right which they did refinance to a lower rate because that lower rate if you can take some time off for amortization make it a 15 year instead of a 30 year that's incredible so yeah things aren't always going to be ideal sometimes you're going to you know time things poorly you have some bad luck but Look for the opportunity and, and remember what's important in life. You know, not everything's about the return on the investment. Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. about, you know, being grateful for the things that you have. You have a home. Be, be happy about it.
0: Okay, Pastor Adam. There you go. <laughs> Man, see, you're not getting this kind of value at any other investing podcast. I mean, come on. Let we're me giving, tell you that. We're giving it all to you. That's true. You ready for our fourth and final one of the day? Mm-hmm. Let me see if there's four more. Okay, yeah, good. There's four more. I was also hoping to see if you had one, like a personal one that might be fun on the second a episode. A personal one, like of my own? Yeah. Maybe like on the second mm. episode, the last one we do will be sure. yours. So. I, have, I have plenty. You do? Yeah. Really? And you'd consider it horror stories or just misses? I
1: mean, horror stories. No, I, I haven't like lost everything in a financial crisis or something like that. But I've certainly made some poor decisions um, that I've learned from and made adjustments moving forward as a result of. I'd be happy to share them.
0: All right. You ready for our fourth and final today? I've never been
1: more ready for <laughs> in my life.
0: Let's do it. Okay. Kmart and Sears merged in 2005. The stock had various small rallies. I don't know why they call it buoyed by experts. How do, you, how do they spell it?
1: B-U-O-Y-E-D. Yeah, buoyed, meaning like the outlook for the merger was positive so you had a lot of analysts saying, oh, this should be good. And so that gives investors a reason to believe that the price is going to go up. So the price was buoyed by these positive sentiments ah, to the outcome of the transaction.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, so the stocks had various small rallies buoyed by experts believing the strategy would work. We're talking about the merge between Kmart and Sears. It didn't. The problems were structural. The price reached a high of around $147 in April 2007, but declined steadily and from uh, from then on. It has been languishing at less than $1 since August 2018. Less than a dollar. And we started at 147. Sears was indeed a mighty giant, but Sears failed to attempt to adapt at the times. Analysts can point to many mistakes and reasons why Sears fell from its heights. What Sears lacked was an unassailable brand. One of the criteria Warren, Warren Buffett famously looks for is what he calls a moat. Like which a defensible into your, position. Right. Uh, several features about a company contribute to its moat, and one of these is an unassailable brand. What that means is a brand commands such loyalty among customers uh, that leaves industry competitors in the dust. Yep. That's, a, that's a really,
1: really difficult moat to
0: build, but it's a very envious one because it's,
1: it's ephemeral. It's um, like you can point to so like Amazon, right? Amazon has a lot of moats. And yeah. one of theirs is their distribution is incredibly sound. Their pricing is really hard to beat because of their distribution. One of the things they don't have, though, is loyalty, brand loyalty, because you're not buying most things. I mean, yeah, they yeah. have their Amazon Essentials line, but you're not really going to Amazon because you want their brand. You're going there because they have a good selection of a lot of basic stuff, and it's easy to get. Yep. Not the same as saying, like, like I, I've driven a Ford truck for years, right? Like, and whatever, whenever I buy a new vehicle, it'll probably be a Ford truck. Like, I can't even mm-hmm. explain to you why that is. I just... I've had four Toyotas. I mean, I just have... Yeah, like I just have good experiences with them. It's it's that. So yeah. it's a really hard thing to do in business to get that that brand loyalty. But if you can, it's extremely sticky and extremely enduring. So it's an enviable thing. And I do think Sears struggled with that. But yeah. I'll let you finish the... No, that's it. That, okay.
0: that, that, and that was the lesson. So, I mean, so
1: Sears is like a really it's a staple kind of story and kind of like business school, like as a okay. case study, because they were a really obvious example of a company that just didn't adapt quickly enough. Now you could argue maybe they were done from day one, mm. but they were, they were really strong in a previous era in which yep. physical space and a distribution channel was most important. Right. So, I mean, one of the reasons Sears was so good was because they had <laughs> their catalogs Everything. That, that were so well-known, right? Well, yeah. how many people do you know that are buying things that they get in the mail nowadays? Like, very few. And so by the time they they kind of pivoted, right, and tried to kind of move that catalog approach to a online approach, a website approach, um, it was too late. Other people had already been in the game for too long, had already had a head start, had done it better, yeah. right, than these Sears stores. And Sears had all this overhead from having all these physical locations, all these retail locations at malls and where else, they were just really poorly positioned to be able to compete because they had built. And this is something really interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to plug um, a blog. We are not associated with them at all. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be, cause I think this guy's brilliant, but no association, but he's a really smart guy. His name is Ben Thompson mm-hmm. and he writes a blog called Stratechery. It's like tech and strategery together. Stratechery is the name of the blog. And it's really, really good. Um, he gives one free like article a week and then three weekly newsletters that if you pay, I think it's like 10 bucks a month, you get those as well. But mm-hmm. the weekly articles alone that are free are amazing. And one of the things he talks about is what kills businesses is oftentimes the same thing that made them strong to begin with. Interesting. So it's not like the people that ran the business, it's not like the people that were running Sears overnight forgot how to run Sears, mm-hmm. right? The problem was they kept running Sears. Right. They kept doing the things that had reinforced to them for decades, this is what makes a strong business. It's really hard to get away from that, especially when you're a very strong company. When you're mm-hmm. at Sears, you know, these changes don't happen overnight. Like the internet has, is still having an impact 30 years after its inception, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like one day Sears was successful The next day it was a failure. It was incremental. So when you're coming from a position of strength, it's hard to kind of make that bet to get off the course that you're going which today is still pretty darn profitable to chase what you think the future is going to be. Because to do that, you have to give up what is working today. And so especially now, if, if you're not doing very well today, it's really easy to change course and go do something else. But when you're strong, when you're doing something that is working, it's hard to kind of give up the bird in the hand to hopefully get the two in the bush. Yeah. So that's just something that I've learned from, you know, reading Ben Thompson that he talks about a lot is they didn't fundamentally do anything different or wrong that made them fail. They just kept doing what had made them good in the first place. So they kept putting a premium on real estate, on physical locations, on that being their channel of distribution, right? right. Um, and so as an investor... You know, looking at that, I think, you know, you mentioned the Kmart when they combined, you see this a lot in like, especially with publicly traded companies when companies merge, mm-hmm. you know, like synergy, right? Like there's synergistic motivations for this, which is, oh, we kind of do similar things, but there's a couple areas where we don't overlap. And if we combined, we would kind of fill in each other's gaps and then we would have a strategic advantage. Oftentimes like that really doesn't work out, it's an oversold thing. I think Kmart and Sears, it probably looked good on the books. That was probably about it because they struggled from essentially the same exact problem and neither one of them had the solution to it. Yeah. So, you know, I think Walmart's done a much better job of trying to pivot and compete. They're still losing market share to Amazon on a regular basis. Um, that's easy to say in hindsight. I can see why investors at the time, that's one of those that you just kind of got to, again, I, I know I'm like a I'm a broken record here, but that really wouldn't have been that big of a deal if you were indexing. <laughs> right like if okay so Sears and Kmart combined maybe they're in your S&P 500 for years or whatever in your your Russell 2000 position if both of them go out that's 2 of 2000 position right most likely something else in the in the fund went up to offset that loss so we talk about these horror stories but really you can protect yourselves from this particular kind of horror story by just diversifying by buying yeah. index funds. Yeah. Don't make a bet that says, you know, I really need Sears to overcome the odds here <laughs> for me to be able to retire. That's yeah. not a position you want to find yourself in. Very so, good. I don't know if that answered the question or it not. It did but,
0: perfectly. Do you think brick and mortar is on its way out eventually?
1: Um, I don't know. I I personally enjoy brick and mortar stuff. Like I like the process of going to a store and, you know, seeing what I'm buying. Like I like going to Home Depot. I like going to, you know, wherever. I like to feel what I'm buying. Like when I need a pair of boots or something I I like to go try them on you know see how they feel whatever Um, so I think there will always be a place for it but I do think for a lot of the a lot of substitute goods like which is what we're seeing you know like detergent I don't need to hold and look at my laundry detergent I just want it to be there and so things like that um, but do I think we're going to not have grocery stores or not going to have any retail stores Mm, no not for at least for a very long time you got anything else No, I hope those were horrifying for everyone.
0: All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.
1: We'll see you for part three. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right.
0: This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit AssetBuilder.com. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode.